investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, investors, to episode 20 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I am your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kessler. It's a lovely Friday, June 28th, 2019, out there today, heading into the Canadian Long Weekend, with Monday being Canada Day. Obviously, next week is going to be fairly slow. July 4th, Independence Day, also my birthday, which is important. So the Americans getting an extra long weekend next weekend, which should be nice. Nonetheless, a lot of big news to chat about this week, largely on the M&A front. A lot of merger and acquisition activity this past week that we found really interesting and it's going to be the focus of the podcast this week. Off the top, AbbVie to buy Allergan in a huge blockbuster $83 billion pharmaceutical deal. We're going to talk about the strategic rationale behind that merger. An additional activist took a stake in Hudson's Bay as the, as the shareholders continue to push for a higher deal price. What's next? Transat accepted its friendly $520 million takeover from Air Canada at 13 bucks share, but the stock continues to trade above that price. So what's going on there? A gaming deal at Eldorado Resorts to acquire Caesars Entertainment in $17.3 billion deal. I'm calling this one the minnow swallows the whale. We're going to chat about what exactly is happening on that deal. And we're going to top it off with a discussion of the blog post this week entitled Stocks with a Hot Hand, a discussion of investing with operating momentum. Huge deal in the pharmaceutical space with AbbVie making a play for Allergan in a friendly $83 billion acquisition. What happened was AbbVie agreed to acquire Botox maker Allergan in an $83 billion cash and stock deal. This blockbuster deal, once closed, would result in the combined company becoming the fifth largest pharmaceutical company worldwide. So really creating a pharma leader in the space. Fairly large premium for Allergan shareholders, 45%, although their stock has really suffered over the past number of years, which we will get into. Abbey shareholders not too happy with it, with their stock down 15% on the news. Deal expected to close in 2020, and after that, Abbey and Allergan shareholders are expected to own 83% and 17% of the combined company, respectively. Some history on Allergan here. It was once really a stock market darling read by, led by CEO Brent Saunders, but they recently had a fall from grace since about uh, 2016. This was effectively the sale of AbbVie, which is a massive discount at $83 billion. It's roughly like less than half what they agreed to sell to, uh, to Pfizer in 2015. And that deal was ultimately blocked by the government in 2016. Some history on Allergan, so the appeal of Allergan, it was basically a leader in um, treatments for aesthetics, or big leader in aesthetics, including Botox, which is their top selling product, and Juvederm and other products such as that. So I had a lot of appeal there. I've always viewed it in terms of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, some people are very vain and have uh, aesthetics right at the top above everything else. So Botox and other aesthetic treatments always viewed as a very stable, durable, growing revenue line for the company. And so it had pretty significant appeal to numerous acquirers over the year. 
How Allergan came into play and into existence effectively, back in 2014, when Valiant Pharmaceuticals was a big player in the space, they actually teamed up with activist investor Bill Ackman from uh, Pershing Square, a hedge fund, to make a play for Allergan, which back then was much smaller and largely uh, was a maker of Botox and other aesthetic treatments. From that deal, a company called Activist, which at the time was led by Brent Saunders, they came in as a white knight or the friendly acquirer to take, uh, to take control of Allergan out of the hands of Valiant and Bill Ackman. And you know what happened to Valiant, they effectively crashed and burned after that deal. So Allergan really like, lucky to get out of that one. After the deal with Activist and Allergan closed, uh, they changed the name back to Allergan. Uh, they did what's called a, an inversion, and so they're based out of Europe to get out of uh, the U.S. tax laws and continued to be run by Brent Saunders, who ran a strategy of consolidation in the pharmaceutical space. Did a ton of pharmaceutical deals over the years, in, including you know Warner Chilcott, uh, this this Allergan deal, and uh, you know just really went on a deal spree, which Wall Street liked for a number of years until they kind of hit the wall in 2015, struck a friendly deal to be acquired by Pfizer, which was a really attractive deal for shareholders. We were along that merger arbitrage situation, which unfortunately was blocked by the government who created a brand new rule look to block this tax inversion. By tax inversion, I mean this deal was structured where Pfizer tried to buy Allergan to become a offshore entity to get outside of the purview of the U.S. IRS tax authorities. Unfortunately, that deal was blocked. If it hadn't been, I looked at it and that Pfizer bid was actually worth almost $500 per share compared to this Abbey deal at 185. So certainly a much, much worse result. However, shareholders kind of getting rescued here a bit with a 45% premium, which I'm sure some of them are happy with. Um, other than that, you know, not the best result for elegant shareholders. The stock really has pretty much gotten more than cut in half since 2015, 2016. It really peaked with that Pfizer deal. And after that fell apart, they just suffered along with the rest of the space on increased competition, more regulatory scrutiny, a lot of products coming off patent. I know their second largest product, Restasis, is now off patent, facing significant competition. But nonetheless, this is the deal, 83 billion uh, in Allergan shareholders' pockets and debt holders. Avi looking to become the fifth largest pharma company in the world. What are your thoughts on this transaction here? Yeah, so it actually had two other hedge fund managers that were involved. There was Seth Carmen from Baupost Group. He had acquired his stake at about a $208 cost basis. And so he will lose money on this deal. The other being David Tepper. So he, Tepper had gotten involved uh, in Q1 of this year. His cost base is around $160. So he'll make a little bit of money on this deal. Uh, he was really pushing for a sale of the company since early 2019, focused on corporate governance, in particular, splitting the CEO and chairman duties. So that was interesting. And Seth Klarman, his initial stake in the, in the company came about through a risk ARB position with that aforementioned uh, Pfizer deal. But yeah, overall, Looking at the strategic rationale, really just a hedge against uh, the patent expiry of Humira, as you had as you had mentioned before, and really there are some synergies, but you know those you can't really trust those sometimes. But yeah, relatively low product overlap as well. 
Yeah, interesting strategic rationale. As you said, Humira, their rheumatoid arthritis treatment, that actually rang up 19.1 billion in sales last year, and that's a majority of Abby's 32.8 billion in revenue last year, and that's going to have a massive leave a massive hole in their income statement once it comes off patent protection in 2023. So the strategic rationale for Abby here really trying to fill that hole in their revenue line coming up over the next few years, Humira being the best-selling pharmaceutical worldwide. So this deal marks Abby's foray into the medical aesthetics business by adding $4 billion in revenue from products such as Botox, which everyone knows, Juvederm, fillers, cool sculpting, Alloderm. This medical aesthetics market is viewed as very durable, very consistent, profitable growth. So shareholders are pretty excited about that. It's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of double digits, 10.6%, from 10.3 billion in 2018 to 25.6 billion in a number of years in the future. Nonetheless, Abbey shareholders not too happy about this cash and stock deal at a 45% premium. Abbey shares down 15% on the news, but unfortunately, Abbey shareholders get no vote on this. Unfortunately, all they can do is sell the stock, but a decent outcome for Allergan shareholders. One thing that will be interesting to follow is, as you'd mentioned, that this is basically Allergan being re-domiciled back into the U.S. Do you see this as a trend that will continue forward? Yeah, it's a reverse inversion of the transactions that Obama really was battling, uh, say, six to eight years ago, a lot of U.S. pharmaceutical companies domiciling offshore to escape uh, international U.S. taxation of their international profits. So a lot of pharmaceutical companies inverted, uh, say, to Ireland or other offshore tax havens such as that. And what Obama and his Treasury Secretary at the time, I believe it was Jacob Loop, they created these new rules to really crack down on inversions, which in my opinion was really the wrong way to go about it. You look at what Donald Trump did and he just made the US a much more attractive place to do business by lowering tax rates and what do you see? Well, it just really sets the right incentive for formerly inverted companies to come back to the US because now, ironically, it's much more attractive to be a US entity than an offshore entity. So. You know, that's what Allergan ends up doing on this Abby buy, and it ultimately a smart move by doing the reverse inversion and uh, becoming a U.S. entity once again. Something I can see that both political parties will take credit for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Continuing on with the Hudson's Bay drama, the HBC take private by its chairman, Richard Baker, and a number of related parties looking to take that company off the market at 9.45 per share, taking out minority shareholders. Well, what happened was another, a second activist investor, this time Canadian firm Catalyst Capital, recently acquired a stake in Hudson's Bay. They didn't say how much, but they did announce that they did buy from Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which recently divested of their entire, uh, I believe it's a 10% yes. stake in Hudson's Bay at 9.45 per share. So effectively the takeover offer from Richard Baker. Teachers exiting at that price to a number of various shareholders, which included not just Catalyst Capital, a Canadian activism investor, but there's also rumors that U.S. activist Landon Buildings, who has been very vocal on this, they actually increased their stake by buying a piece of teachers' divested stake. 
A spokesperson for Catalyst stated that the 944 offer, quote, undervalues the company's real estate and the potential for a turnaround at its department stores. So Catalyst joins a list of institutional investors and analysts opposed to selling HBC at that price that Mr. Baker and related entities are offering. Those entities include both WeWork, Roan Capital. Last week, activists Land and Buildings Investment Management, they slammed Baker's bid as, quote, woefully inadequate. They're asking the company to explore all strategic alternatives, including, as you noted last week on our podcast, to get them to hire an independent investment bank and really shop the company, try to maximize value for minority shareholders here. Now, Jonathan Litt, the founder of Land and Buildings, he said in a letter to HBC's special committee that the offer should be raised to at least $18 per share, almost double the current offer. Now, to remind you, HBC went public in 2012 at 17 bucks a share. They were saying that just their real estate was worth north of 30 per share, and now they're offering 9.45. Although 18 per share, that ask seems quite high versus the 9.45 offer and the $6 and change unaffected price prior to the offer being announced. You look in the context of HBC's historical price, in addition to its net asset value pegged well north of $30 per share, and it doesn't seem that uh, out of this world. Quote from a CIBC analyst, Mark Petri here, who said in a report that HBC owns iconic properties and quote, with an improving retail business under competent leadership, we believe this is not an adequately reflected in the 945 offer, in our opinion, a range of $10.25 to $11.25 per share would be more appropriately reflect today's value. So there you have it. Not only activists, investors against it, institutional investors, but also even the street and some analysts pushing for a higher price as well, which we think ultimately will happen. I believe that the stock is still trading quite a bit well through the terms. I think it might be, uh, it's certainly above 945 as the market expects a higher offer here. What are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, going back to the aforementioned teacher's stake that was sold, I believe the Globe and Mail reported that between Catalyst and Landed Buildings, they took up much of that of that 10%. So whether that means six or 7%, you know, that leaves a little bit to interpretation. But even still, Landed Buildings already was rumored to have about 3%. So, you know, that might bring them up to about 10% combined between the two of them, which still leaves a substantial amount of, uh, of you know, convincing that they'll need to do for the rest of the vote, which in, by all accounts should be a fairly easy thesis of that they're just not getting proper value at this $9.45 bid. Right, especially with the media starting to pick it up. I mean, most people invested in HSBC, not because it's a retailer, but largely because it's a real estate play. And it's just unfortunate that... Um, and the CIBC analysts really nailed it here, saying that they need to be under competent leadership. They really need uh, real estate specialization because, I mean, this is a real estate company. It's not a retailer. They really need to kind of, you know, wind down their retail operations over time and capitalize on that tremendous value within the real estate. Which was interesting in, in that Catalyst, they had mentioned one of the things that they spoke about was using having HBC use technology more effectively to capture market share. 
So I'm not sure if that's just something that they added in or if that would be part of their plan moving forward. But as you mentioned, like the best scenario here is just to crystallize the value of their real estate. Right, exactly. And you look at the bid at 945 versus the NAV, say it's between you know 30 to $40 per share. And the CEO just stated that the real estate was worth 28 bucks per share uh, last year. So this 945 bid is implying that the retail side of the business is worth you know, almost negative $20 per share or more than that. What does that tell you? Well, perhaps you should wind that down and look to try to liquidate the company and, and capitalize on that real estate value. Because in my opinion, it is a real estate company. And the goal of the chairman and the board of directors, especially the independent directors, the special committee here is really to maximize value for all stakeholders, which includes minority investors. So hopefully they take that into account. Hopefully they do in fact hire an independent investment bank and get uh, the highest price for minority shareholders here. Another M&A deal in Canada that has been, uh, we've been talking about it for quite a while as it went through the process. Prior Transat and Air Canada were in exclusive discussions. Well, those ended with a friendly deal for Air Canada to acquire Transat at the initial $13 per share. That equates to $520 million and a nice triple-digit premium over the unaffected, I believe, $6 and change price for Transat. But the official deal may be a disappointment for Transat shareholders as they were hoping for a higher bid from either Air Canada from this process or potential interloper group Mock, who recently floated an unsolicited $14 cash per share offer. Montreal-based Air Canada pursued Transat to boost its leisure travel business against the backdrop of a potential turnaround at rival WestJet under a new owner. As we previously discussed, WestJet struck a friendly deal to be acquired by leveraged buyout operator private equity firm Onyx Corp. Transact stock surged more than 34% since its exclusivity talks with Air Canada began in May. It actually closed above $14 per share as investors anticipated a sweeter deal prior to this subsequent news coming out. Once it came out, the shares did drop about 7.4% back to $13.33 per share, which happens to be through the terms of $13, uh, the bid that's currently put on the table. So certainly shareholders speculating, the market speculating that there perhaps is more to come here. Perhaps uh, an interloper will come over the top with a higher offer. Quote here from Transat CEO, he called the agreement, quote, the best option for all our stakeholders. He said it would expand the Montreal-based company. And that's something that is really important to the Quebec government. They really did not want to see Transat fall into the hands of a foreign entity, or even they are sensitive to it being owned by a non-Quebec-based entity. And they're pretty happy with Air Canada uh, coming uh, and acquiring them here because Air Canada is based in Montreal and they're just looking to build up that head office and not get rid of it. However, Canada's Commissioner of Competition is expected to examine the takeover very closely given that the two airlines have a combined 60% cross-Atlantic travel from Canada. That's their market share, 60% and 45% market share on some Caribbean routes. So certainly a lot of uh, combined market share, which will be a huge concern uh, 
on the competition bureau as they evaluate this deal. And of course, this deal needs approval from the competition bureau in order to close. As for the price, still a number of top shareholders are expected to vote against this deal. I've heard some pushing for $15 per share or higher. One shareholder, in fact, the largest shareholder at 17% is Letco Brasso. And they stated publicly that they do oppose this deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on this situation here with uh, a number of shareholders coming out against and a potential interloper hanging out in the background? You know, a lot going on. So we actually have two potential interlopers, although one is a little bit more credible being Group Mock, but the other being FNC Capital. Uh, they're another Montreal-based investor that said that they were working to produce an offer in the $17 to $20 range. Um, but I don't really know how seriously that can be taken as nothing has come to the table yet. Uh, but in terms of Group Mock, going back to prior prior to the uh, definitive agreement being signed with Air Canada. On Tuesday, they said that they were waiving the financing conditions uh, that they had on their proposal after securing a non-binding agreement from the Quebec government to provide that, uh, uh, presumably to provide that $120 million of financing that the previous proposal was conditional on. But they were removing that, coming to some sort of agreement with the Quebec government. Now, after the agreement was signed, Group Mock did come out with a statement expressing their disappointment, basically to summarize, basically just expressing their disappointment, saying that they don't believe that the $13 a share provides adequate value to the Transat shareholders, basically reiterating their $14 a share, not bumping or anything like that. Um, so as you had mentioned, with the share price currently trading through the Air Canada deal terms, the market does believe that there is some validity to Group Mock's proposal. Obviously, the Transat board didn't think so. It'd be really interesting to follow how this plays out. Right. And you really hit the nail on the head here. You, you need to take into account Air Transat board. What are they thinking here? Because clearly, Group Mock was vocal in the market saying, okay, $14 per share, we are removing the financing condition, yet the Transat board still continued to go with the $13 offer from Air Canada, which not only is lower, but presents substantial potential competition issues in terms of getting approval, and that's why they do have a fairly large reverse break fee. So you think about that, and perhaps, you know, you got to think why Transat's board went this route. Well, you know, I've always been quite skeptical on Group Mock's potential offer, and clearly the Transat board is as well. And while Mock did waive their financing agreement, their agreement with the provincial government is confidential and they would not provide any details, but they said the agreement was non-binding, and that's all we know. So it is a relatively unknown potential acquirer, and you don't know exactly where their money is coming from, and it is uh, in the hundreds of millions of dollars in financing, which is a good chunk of change. So it's not too easy to source that. They did state that they didn't have an agreement with the FDQ or Case to, D to Depot, which are two large uh, Quebec-based pension plants. So I continue to stick with uh, my advice of being cautious on this potential overbid and the speculation behind it. I think that it could have some financing issues and perhaps that's why the Transat board did not go ahead and evaluate fully or choose to go with this $14, this higher $14 per share offer and instead went through the initial 
Air Canada, $13 per share a bit. Big deal in the gaming space with Eldorado Resorts agreeing to acquire rival Caesars Entertainment in a friendly $17.3 billion merger. Some noted activist involvement with our favorite activist investor, Carl Icahn, taking a stake in Caesars a number of months ago, pushing for three board seats, which he got. He went at, then went ahead and pushed Caesars to be sold, which ended up coming to fruition. So big win for Car- Carl Icahn there. Caesars shares rallying 11.4% on the news, while Eldorado shares falling by 13.2%. Uh, on the news. So clearly Eldorado shareholders not really liking the deal too much, which is surprising because Eldorado has a truly exceptional record of acquiring and really consolidating the gaming space. They've made a series of acquisitions over the past few years, including a $1.85 billion deal for Icon Back Tropicana Entertainment, Icon involved there. Uh, that was in 2018, just last year, and a $1.7 billion deal for Isle of Capri Casinos in 2017. And I should note, since El Dorado went public five years ago, their stock is up 10x, so tenfold over the past five years. Excellent track record of success, but shareholders not necessarily liking this deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on this consolidation in the gaming space? And so back to back to Carl Icahn's involvement. So he became involved around March, um, where he took three board seats and installed a new CEO, Anthony Rodio. Rodio. And the interesting aspect of the new CEO that he installed was that this was the same CEO that he had at Tropicana Entertainment, yeah. which was. Uh, which was acquired by Eldorado as well. Um, So there is an interesting dynamic there. But the other interesting dynamic is that this actually earned something very uncommon from Carl Icahn was post-announcement, he actually provided a lot of praise to the uh, Caesars board for being rational, accepting the right deal, which, um, you know, Carl, his, his usual involvement with board members is, you know, quite quite aggressive, very, very much uh, sharp elbowed. Right. And I did read his letter praising the Caesars board, and he certainly took his time at the microphone to rebuke other public board of directors, which he always tends to do, always entertaining. Absolutely. The other interesting aspect um, for from the side of frequent Vegas travelers is that part of Eldorado's success has been their ability to reduce guest inducements. So things such as free drinks and mm-hmm. hotel stays. So that's been a big factor in their cost cutting. So for anybody that is looking to stay at Caesars after Eldorado takes control, uh, is that these will likely be reduced there as well as part of their operational enhancements and some of the synergies. Right, and that has really led to their tremendous stock market performance. As I said, tenfold rise in the price of Eldorado shares over the past 10 years due to some of those operational efficiencies, improvements, cost cutting that they are able to do within this consolidation strategy. So these guys really know what they're doing and the stock price performance really proved that aside from the one day uh, negative performance declining 13.2% on announcement of this deal. One reason why I find this transaction so interesting is I called it the minnow swallowing the whale. Now, Eldorado is worth 7.5 billion, but Caesars they're acquiring for 17.3 billion uh, equity and debt. 
So Caesar is nearly two and a half times larger than El Dorado, which is very rare. Whenever you see M&A mergers and acquisitions, you see an acquirer uh, taking over Target that tends to be quite a bit smaller. So it's very rare to see an acquirer taking over a Target that's two and a half times their size. As I said, minnow swallowing a whale, it certainly adds to the risk level. Traditionally, Eldorado's deals were quite a bit smaller, including $1.85 billion deal last year for Tropicana, and prior to that, a $1.7 billion deal for Capri Casinos. This one, tenfold that size. I guess we shall see what they can do with it. Put out a good blog post this week called Stocks with a Hot Hand, Investing with Operating Momentum. By hot hand, it's a phenomenon that occurs when a person who experiences a successful attempt has a greater chance or positive momentum in further successful attempts. This is often spoken about in basketball, where you have a shooter who keeps nailing threes, keeps nailing jumpers, nothing but net, and they just keep, you know, getting subsequent baskets. And they seem to have a hot hand, so they get the ball to him, and he keeps just sinking them, like he's got that momentum. Well, there's a stock equivalent, a capital markets equivalent, that we call operating momentum. Now, there's a couple ways that we like to quantitatively measure operating momentum. The first one being consensus EPS revisions. What this refers to is the change over time in the consensus earnings per share estimate for a company. We monitor how those average earnings per share estimates for either quarterly or annual performance at a company, how that EPS estimate changes over time. If it's going up, that's positive operating momentum. And if it's going down, then that's negative operating momentum. And we rank all stocks on this operating momentum. The second methodology for measuring operating momentum we call earnings abnormal returns. Now this refers to the abnormal share price performance after the release of quarterly results. The classic beat and raise, which means a company beats expectations, exceeds where analysts forecast the results are gonna come in. And then the raise part is where they increase guidance for future uh, financial performance. That beat and raise is obviously positive and it's usually accompanied by a positive share price result. We refer to that as positive earnings abnormal returns. On the other hand, conversely, if a company misses expectations and guides lower, God help you if you hold the stock because it's likely gonna get crushed on that news. Certainly investors do not like when companies miss their guidance. They come in below analyst expectations and they reduce their future guidance. The stock tends to decline quite markedly when that happens. And the other thing is when a company effectively has a hot hand, if they beat and raise, then they tend or on average are likely more so uh, likely to do that in the future uh, than say if they miss uh, and guide lower then you know that momentum tends to continue. Wanted to get into some numbers. So what we did is we ran a simulation, 20 year simulation rebalanced on a monthly basis on both Canadian and US stocks on both of these operating momentum factors. The first being consensus EPS revisions. So we ran a portfolio of the top decile, the top 10% of the highest increasing consensus EPS revisions over the past 20 years. And that portfolio rebalanced on a monthly basis returned 10% annualized, which is a pretty exceptional return. And the bottom, what's even more interesting is the bottom decile, the bottom 10% with the lowest EPS revisions or the most negative consensus EPS revisions actually lost 6.2% per year. So over that 20 years, you would have lost 75% of your money. 
However, if in the long portfolio that uh, went up 10% per year, of the consensus, highest consensus EPS revisions would have risen sixfold. In the US, the number is not as extreme, but the top 10% rising 4.2%, and the bottom 10% of operating momentum companies based on declining consensus EPS revisions declined 4.5%, still a pretty massive spread between the top and bottom decile or alpha if you were to run a long short portfolio, almost a 9% annual spread between them. Now looking at the earnings abnormal returns factor, really exceptional numbers here, uh, top decile over the past 20 years in Canada, returning 12.6% annually, and in the US 10.2% annually, while the bottom 10% both lost money uh, over the past 20 years, which is pretty significant. And I wanted to note not just the pretty exceptional performance on the long side on average, beating the S&P 500 and TSX Composite on average, all four of them except one uh, being consensus EPS revisions in the US. I wanted to note that what is truly exceptional here is the performance of the bottom decile portfolios, which all lost money over 20 years, which is you know pretty difficult to do. And investors can really capitalize on this. If you are an enterprising investor, you can utilize that within your portfolios to short sell these securities to generate substantial alpha or outperformance. This is a key insight that a lot of factor investors, smart beta investors tend to miss because those investors really are long only. And this example, Operating Momentum, shows that a lot of the alpha or outperformance of factor investing uh, inherent to stocks is really on the short side. So really take that into account. If you hold a stock with negative operating momentum or you see one, if it's in your portfolio, perhaps look to sell it. If it's not, perhaps look to short it, or at the very least, do not go along that stock. And you know the top operating momentum stocks could be a good uh, addition to long portfolios. And that's it for episode 20 of the Absolute Return Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week. If you want to hear more, there's always a lot of episodes available at absolutereturnpodcast.com. If you like it, please leave us a review and we will chat with you next week. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.